You're listening to the Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Get ready to be inspired as we explore provocative topics surrounding innovative technologies and ideas with top industry professionals, digital entrepreneurs, and provocateurs. At Impetus Digital, we believe that everything starts with a conversation. We aspire to act as the bridge to not only ignite these courageous conversations, but to also sustain them over time. We do this through our Insight platform, which features our award-winning Insight events and Insight Touchpoint solutions, and through these fireside chats. In the end, our hope is to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Natalie Eden. CEO and co-founder of Impetus Digital, an all-in-one, fully-serviced virtual collaboration and communication solution for online meetings, events, conferences, and advisory boards for life science companies. My name is Natalie Yeadon. I'm the co-founder and CEO with Impetus Digital. At Impetus Digital, we've built some of the best-in-class asynchronous and synchronous virtual collaboration tools. We've worked with life science companies from across the globe over the past 13 years to help them with everything from creating virtual advisory boards to developing online medical education, publication groups, investigator meetings. And today we're going to be talking about the way COVID-19 has really immensely changed the way we do clinical trials. So one of the things that we want to talk about, first of all, is why um, a lot of this, why we have actually been going through the decentralization process and what this clinical trials look like in the form of virtual and hybrid trials. So one of the things I think is really important is that it's no longer going to be these single uh, places where patients are going uh, to sites, to investigator places, where there's uh, clinical research organizations, um, where there's kind of the standard go-to people that all pharmaceutical companies go for clinical trials. We're now in the great era of dispersion, and this includes the way we are administering the trials. So we're now allowing to reach out to people, reaching out to them to do the clinical trials within their homes, or within remote locations, so they don't have to travel as far. And so we're now in a place where these clinical trials can get dispersed into underserved and underprivileged areas and communities as well. In addition, the COVID-19 has also modified the way drug deliveries are done. So instead of going to the standard locations, these big uh, standardized clinical trial investigator sites, they're now getting delivered to patients' homes. So safety, um, even the use of things like blockchain, being able to determine the delivery and where these drugs are going to. And so being able to monitor, um, this will also help with supply chain issues and determining if there's counterfeit. So we're putting a lot of technologies in place to be able to not only get drugs to the the place of use and administration, but we're also being able to monitor um, what is happening along the supply chain as well. Uh, COVID has also accelerated the utilization of telemedicine, being able to have investigators and clinical research organizations or auditors being able to speak directly to patients from their home or from a place that is their preference as opposed to going into a hospital, an institution or a physician's office. So being able to utilize our phones, our computers to be able to have real time interactions has really enabled our ability to do things like remote monitoring. So once patients actually get into the trials, we're also actually able to use technologies for things like e-consent, 
where people don't have to fill out actual paper copies to enroll in a trial, it can all get done online. So when they're in the trial, they don't have to no longer have to come into a hospital or a physician's office to be able to access the endpoints or the, uh, the, to determine how they're doing on the trial drug or to see what they're actually doing. In addition, with the utilization of things like biopsies on a chip or liquid biopsies, we're able to use a lot of other tools that can get sent and shipped, perhaps also with their drugs, um, so that we can actually monitor and determine what is happening with their blood, what is actually happening with their oxygen saturations. We can also use a lot of other sensors and tools, smartwatches like the Apple Watch, Fitbits, etc., to also include as part of the clinical endpoint data uh, uh, data integration and being able to use a lot more what we call ambient um, uh, integration of the this data. What are some of the advantages of doing decentralized trials and clinical trials in the new way where where that we're doing it? Well, first of all, um, one of the things that we have to find is that there's fewer barriers to participation and we become very patient centric. So before where it would be sort of like companies determining where their next blockbuster was going to be or looking at a profit and loss statement and determining where they're going to be getting the most value to the shareholders, it has become much more focused on what are the needs what are patients actually needing and determining from there the clinical endpoints that should be that should be uh, determined, not what is happening in a global office um, and determined from a local regulatory organization within the company. But it's really being saying is how are patients using this product? What are they deemed to be success metrics for their own quality of life? What those applications are in their life? So it's um, become so much more focused on that. And in fact, we can see the day in the future where patients may actually crowdsource people to participate in trials for their particular N equals one condition. And this is becoming much more prevalent. It's happening today with rare diseases and specific kinds of rare cancers. Um, so we're finding that there's becoming fewer per, uh, barriers to participation and that we're a lot more focused around the patient. We're also finding that by doing this, we're allowing better study retention and adherence. There's a more immediate response to patients' needs, especially in the trials. If there's something happening, if they're feeling a certain type of uh, side effect, that can be addressed right away without having to wait for them to get in a car, drive to an office, and actually share the situation. Um, we're also going to be taking less time, perhaps, in emergency departments if something like a, a major sequelae happens. So these kinds of things can be nipped right away. And as a result, patients may have a higher tendency of staying on the drug and staying on the clinical trial. We also see with the ability to do clinical trials online is that there could be a shortened timeline for recruitment and also completion of the trial. Things are a lot more succinct um, and to the point, and we can also globalize the inclusion so that there's many more uh, centers and potential centers that were never involved in the clinical trials in the first place that now can get their patients involved. So there's faster recruitment times and potentially reduce costs as a result. And of course, when we start including these underserved, underprivileged, or never before utilized centers and physicians and investigator sites, we're getting many different kinds of populations, um, people that we never would have included in, in the original trials that we have. So now when we get the data, it can be much more representative of the people that we are treating in our day-to-day -day, um, physician offices and our populations. So what are some of the barriers to the new ways that we're doing clinical trials? One of the things that we need to be considering is that really there isn't a specific template. 
It's not like we can create some smart algorithm through some machine learning and just kind of slap that on all clinical trials and this applies to everybody. We realize that there has to be tweaks and turns depending on the disease site, depending on the types of patient populations and many other types of factors, we have to in integrate those specific modifications to the protocols involved. We also have to realize that technology adoption is sometimes, a, a, you know, the people can be reticent on that. We can have, you know, again, the, the typical technology Luddites, the ones who may not be technologically savvy, both at the physician, the CRO level, as well as at the patient level. There might be caregivers who may not be comfortable utilizing a phone. We might also be looking at populations that don't have access to specific broadband, uh, uh, broadband width for internet service, or they may not have the certain technology or the, uh, the level of phone to be able to have telemedicine or to do the remote monitoring. Um, so there's many other things to be considered around the, the uh, adoption of technologies, um, including things like e-consent forms, uh, use of digital signatures, and many other sorts of issues associated with compliance regulations with specific institutions. We also have to realize that there has to be some standardization of investigator collaboration channels. This is a new thing that we're seeing, the use of things like Slack channels, even the Impetus Insight platform. This is a tool that we started instigating within CROs, physician offices, nurses, and between some of the manufacturer sponsor companies that we work with. Being able to facilitate these discussions so that investigators can share data, they can actually get progress up up updates and the manufacturers can also easily and succinctly share protocol changes in a very rapid and, and efficient manner. So because these are becoming new standardized protocols, some centers are a little slow to adopt it and um, they may not be as, uh, as attuned to some of the channels and being able to share and collaborate and change and modify as quickly as they could be. We also have some safety concerns, people being worried about some of the bioethics, safety concerns about security of their data, who is gonna have access to it? Um, is there gonna be cybersecurity risks? So many of these things are on the lips and tongues and the minds of many people navigating this process. How do we actually uh, make sure that in information is encrypted, um, utilizing a lot of edge computing and other sorts of technologies to ensure this sort of safety? The other thing that we have to realize is that we've come to a place where we just cannot go back to the way we've done things. It's sort of like that concept of burning the ships. We've already made the voyage across and we really can't turn back. We realize that we've seen many, many benefits, all the things and the advantages that we've already shared. We know that it works and we need to continue to forge the path forward. We realize that we need to remain flexible. We have to give patients the options to hybrid options, being able to do things at home, at work, at other geographical locations if they want to travel somewhere else that may not be within the jurisdiction of those particular protocols and those clinical trials. We also have to give people the options that there's maybe some, some dates or times where they want to go to the office. They may want to see a physical person, a nurse or a physician. So we need to be able to create this this N equals one hybrid and variety and, and multi, multi duplicity of options for patients themselves. And we also have to realize that drug and technology development is in an accelerated pace. We're seeing so many changes happening every single day. Everything from use of 3D printing of, 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 of not only uh, tissues, but drugs in silica, being able to test multiple things and be able to discover products 
way faster than we ever have used to. We also realize that there's the use of AR and VR um, and so many other things around quantum, uh, quantum computing with the whole drug discovery process. In addition, COVID-19 has also taught us that regulatory um, changes can be made, that discovery can be a lot quicker, and that we can make decisions and make payment discussions and reimbursement so much faster than we have seen traditionally in the pharma sphere. So as we were saying, COVID-19 has changed the way we do clinical trials. At Impetus, we are so excited to be working with manufacturers, life science companies, pharma companies, and their respective clinical investigators, nurses, physicians, payers, and patients, so that we can all work together to co collaboratively, collectively, and positively disrupt the way we're doing clinical trials. Thank you for listening to this Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Impetus Digital are the business-to-business -business virtual engagement experts and provide immersive virtual collaboration and communication solutions for advisory boards, medical education meetings, events, conferences, and projects worldwide, all delivered with our award-winning white glove service. Visit us at impetusdigital.com or book a demo at meetwithimpetus.com to find out more and visit us on our LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube channel to see other inspiring conversations for you to share with your network.